All right, well, let's go ahead and get started here, and I'll start us with a word of prayer, if we could. God, thanks for being with us as we gather together around your word, and I pray that we'll be uh, enlightened and uh, encouraged this morning as we look ahead to see what's coming and what you have uh, revealed to us about the uh, future of, of this planet. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we looked at the new earth and what's going to come in terms of what's going to replace this earth. We had a question of, well, what happens between here and now? What can we know about the sequence? And so last time, last time we were together, I talked about a few of the things I think are definitive about the sequence that's going to happen. Most things, I would say, we have clues, but they're, they're not definitive. And have made the point that the Pharisees who really knew the Bible backwards and forward, I mean, they memorized the thing. And they, they had, in large part, uh, discerned that there were two messiahs and, and uh, a lot of things that were true. But the idea that there was a sequence uh, with uh, uh, the same messiah that came and then had a big gap and then came again, that, that was something that they really never ferreted out. And the idea that the Messiah was actually God become man, they totally missed. Even though the clues are there. So I think we can look at clues, we can build models, uh, we can look at what's definitive. And uh, we just mostly want to take the lessons that are clear when we talk about prophecy. Which there are some, definitely. So let's start back in Daniel 9. Uh, last time we looked at Daniel 2. And we looked at the statue. The statue has a very definite uh, sequence and it has the whole history of, uh, of the world in there. And the history of the world as, as outlined in Daniel 2 has kingdoms, five kingdoms. And we started with Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian kingdom. It was replaced by the Persian kingdom, the silver breastplate. That was replaced by Alexander the Great and his conquered world. The Greek conquered world that split into four kingdoms, two of which became very dominant, which were the Ptolemies in Egypt and the Seleucids in Syria. Uh, then That was then swallowed up with Rome. And then the fifth kingdom is the kingdom of God. A stone not cut with hands comes down and destroys the statue, and the kingdom of God fills the earth. That one's yet to come. Uh, so... We have the Roman era that we're in, and we talked about all the similarities that we have with Rome and how we think like Romans, and how we have a Roman world with, with, uh, that keeps fragmenting and breaking into pieces, but is tough as iron. And this, this statue is still um, a, a, uh, a good um, summary of the way the world works. Well, what's ahead of us today, we're going to talk about from Daniel 9. We talked about the 70 weeks of Daniel, the 77 years, and we read about how 69 of the years will come, and then Messiah will be cut off, transgression will be uh, taken care of, iniquities uh, taken care of, and so forth. And then it says, uh, uh, well, we'll just look at verse 26. After the 62 weeks, there were 7, then 62, so we get to 69. Messiah shall be cut off. But not for himself. The people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. That would be Rome. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. 
So this is the 70th week. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate, even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So this is the week that's ahead of us. We've seen the 69 weeks. And this was 70 weeks are determined for your people. So this is for the people of Israel. So you get 69 weeks. Messiah is rejected. Messiah's, the people are cut off. And then you have this long interlude of this Roman period. And the 70th week is the last part of the sequence. Alright, so let's go to Matthew 24. And, and most of the rest of our lesson here will be going through Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24. Then Jesus went out. Well, let me start in, th- in 23, uh, 37. <clears throat> you know these chapters are, are not inspired. And um, so this, this thought continues on here. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jesus says, the one who kills the prophets... And stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So verse 3, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, so the Mount of Olives is just east of the city of Jerusalem, and you can see, if you you see anybody's picture from uh, having visited Israel, it's likely they'll have a picture from the top of the Mount of Olives looking over the city. You get this real grand panorama of the city and the temples just across the valley there. So they're looking, they're on the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, and they have three questions. This is Matthew 24, verse 3. Three questions. He says, Tell us, when will these things be? So, question number one is what? When? Yeah, when, when is this going to happen? What these things are they talking about? Yeah, the destruction of the, of the temple. What else? What? Well, yeah, okay, well that's the second question. But, but what else about the when what? What's the context of the when? The, the temple's going to be destroyed. That's what he just got through saying. What, what about up in 37 through 39 of, verse, of chapter 23? Yeah, yeah, you're not going to see me anymore until you say this blessed is he. So we're really talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Immediate context here, the destruction of Jerusalem and the return of Jesus, which they don't really understand yet. They still hadn't gotten it that Jesus is actually going to go back to heaven and then come back again. They didn't really understand that until after the resurrection. Okay, So the first question is, tell us when are these things going to be? Second question is what, Tim? What's the second question? What are the signs? Okay, so when's it going to happen? What signs will we see that let us know it's coming? And the third thing is, what will be the end of the age? So when, when is this going to happen? What are the signs? And what's the end of the age? 
Now Jesus spends the next good long while answering these three questions. Let's look and see which question he answers first. Jesus answered, said to them, Take heed, no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, saying, I'm the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. So which question is he answering first? The last. the last one, yeah. And this is this chiastic thinking is is all through the scripture, right? You kind of go in A, B, C, C, B, A. And, and even in our culture, if you ask somebody three questions, they'll answer the one that they heard last first, and then, then what will they say? Now, what were the first two questions? Yeah, right. So Jesus doesn't say, now what were the first two questions, but he, he answers the most recent one last. So he says... The end is not yet. So you're going to hear wars, you're going to hear rumors of wars. He just got through telling them about this big destruction of the temple, right? So there's going to be all kinds of wars, but that's not the end. Verse 7, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be famines, pestilence, earthquakes, and various places. But these are not the end. What are they? The beginning of sorrows, or some of the translations, these are birth pangs. So you see, birth pangs, they start, they get intense, they end, they start, they get intense, they end, they keep getting ever more intense until finally you have a delivery. So we're going to have this cycle that's going to happen. Verse 9, they'll deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you'll be hated by nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended and betray one another and they'll hate one another. What's he, what's he telling them? That one clue here about the, when the end's going to come. I think they're getting a clue. It's going to be after their death because he says they're going to kill you and then all this other stuff's going to happen. Verse 10, Then many will be offended and betray one another and will hate one another. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. To the end of what? The age. Endures what? Yeah, all the stuff that just happened here. And, and the thing that we're mainly got to endure is our love growing cold. Isn't that interesting? Because, you know, when things are lawless and there's a lot of iniquity around, it's easy to get kind of jaded and hardened and have your love grow cold. It's not an easy thing to keep that. Now, he's talking here about the end of an age, but I think we can take this as an application since there's these birth pangs and we're going to go through these cycles. Uh, we can take this as an application that as you're mistreated, as you are uh, confronted with people that don't tell the truth, people that pervert the Scriptures, people that um, hate, people that perpetrate violence, injustice. Uh, and we see, that, we, see, we see this locally, we see this nationally, we see this all over the world. It's easy to just get uh, hardened. But what we want to do are, is continue to love all the way to the end of our lives. In this particular context, he's talking about being saved from persevering to the end of the age. Verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So, there's your answer to 
the first que- the third question when will the end come well it's going to come after these birth pangs after all these troubles um, and uh, sorry what will be the end of the age the end of the age will be this when the gospel of kingdoms preached throughout the whole world now I think he starts to answer the second question in the next verse which is what would the signs be then he says therefore They're all connected, of course. When you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Jerusalem flee to the mountains. So here's your big sign. Let's go back to Daniel real quick. Daniel chapter 9. Verse 27. Then he, and this is the Antichrist. We'll see more about this when we get to Revelation here in a minute. He shall confirm a covenant with many for one week, but in the middle of the week he'll bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate. So there's your abomination of desolations spoken of in Daniel. And this is what Jesus refers to here. When you see this happen, then you know that you need to flee. He has more signs here. Let him sit on the housetop, not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who's in the field, don't go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray your flight might not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be such great tribulation, such as has not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall ever be. Now there are a lot of people that interpret all these verses to uh, refer specifically to the uh, destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And, you know, there's some support for that. You've got uh, Jesus saying that this temple's going to be torn down stone by stone, and it was in, in 70 A.D. Uh, and it was a really horrific event, something like half a million Jews killed. But it wasn't something that had never been seen before. It was not that different than what happened when Nebuchadnezzar came in and knocked down Jerusalem. It was very similar. And it was not a worldwide event. But it was a birth pang. Um, And Titus, although he did come in and desecrate the temple in terms of taking all the stuff back and selling it to build the Colosseum. The Roman Colosseum was financed with the destruction of the the temple in uh, Jerusalem. Um, I, I don't think he stood in the middle after three and a half years and stood in the temple and declared himself God like Antiochus Epiphanes did. We talked about him last time. So look, verse 24, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I've told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, don't go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the carcass is, there the eagle will be gathered together. So, think what he's saying here is, the sign, when you see the abomination of desolation, you need to get out of here. That's the big sign. And when I come back, it's not going to be something that you have to really debate. And when I come back, everybody's going to know it. It's going to be like lightning that goes all the way to the east to the west. I've actually never seen lightning that went all the way from the east to the west. But, you know, I've seen some of these phenomenal lightning storms, and it's, it's not something you just ignore. I mean, they are big and loud, and you just you can't really overlook them. 
Well, this is one that's so huge, nobody's going to overlook this. So there's the signs. So the end of the age is going to be after the gospel of the kingdom is preached to all the earth. And the sign's going to be that you've got the abomination of desolation. And then Jesus returns in a, in a way that's we're going to make no mistake. Um, and then, I think he answers the first question. When? So immediately after the tribulation of those days... Oh, well, I, I think these are some more signs, actually. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and the tribes of the earth will mourn. They'll see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with great power and glory. He will send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they'll gather together the elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So I don't know if this is a second rapture or uh, a, a third rapture or exactly how this gathering happens. But clearly there's a gathering that takes place at the end of the, of the uh, period as well as uh, at the beginning. So we'll, we'll look at that again in a second. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. Now I think he's answering the question of when. Learn this parable from the fig tree. When... Its branches have already become tender and puts forth leaves. You know the summer's near. So when, 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 the, you, when you see the things happening, then you know that uh, a result's about to take place. So you also, when you see these things, know it's near at the door. Surely I say to you, this generation will no, by no means pass away till these things are, take place. And the generation he's talking about is the generation that sees the signs. But, Verse 36, of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. So, he tells us about the end of the age, he tells us about the signs, but the when, he says what? No, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Now, he goes on and does something very interesting here, because he told us the abomination of desolation is the signs. He says there's other signs, birth pang signs, sun and moon darkening and other things. He tells us the gospel of the kingdom will be preached all throughout the earth. The gospel of the kingdom, by the way, is a, is a technical term that is way more than just conversion of belief, interestingly enough. I, I would be very interesting to know uh, what that entails. Uh, then, then he answers the question, when, by saying... Uh, nobody knows. But verse 37, he says this, But as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them away. So will be the son of the coming of man be. So the point is, it's going to come and just people are going to be unaware. Now, this is taken two different ways that I know of. One is that There'll be some aware, some unaware. So the unaware, Noah was aware. He knew it was coming. Uh, and God told him, go get in the ark. Just like Jesus says, when you see this abomination of desolation, run, run away. Um, and then the other people were just taken unaware. Uh, but then uh, the other way it's taken is that uh, there's an imminent return of Jesus, uh, even though he told us the signs have to come before he returns. And this is where this is one of the this is the the, the path I take because I think what Jesus is telling us here is even though we can't know when uh, we can know that these signs are going to happen before the end of the age takes place and 
And remember, Paul uh, talked about this in Second Thessalonians. Let's just look there real quick. Second Thessalonians, chapter two. Second Thessalonians two, verse. One, now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or letter, as if from us, though the day of the Lord Christ had come. Okay, so it's something, everything, ah, we missed it. It's, It's already happened. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that's called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself he's God. Do you not remember I told you these things? And this again, I think, is the abomination of desolation. So Paul is saying, look, you, you don't think that the end of the world happened and you missed it until this sign of this abomination of desolation, this man of sin standing in the temple declaring himself God takes place, that's not the end. Don't let anybody deceive you about this. At the same time, we're told the return of Jesus is imminent. So look at verse 42, back to Matthew 24. Watch therefore, you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. And going back to Noah, Noah was faithful, faithful, faithful. It was only at the last minute Noah was told, okay, now go get in the ark. He was not told, okay, do this in 120 years from now. I'm going, I'm going to put you in the ark. He's just faithful, 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 build, 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 and then got in the ark. So that's my take. So this is, this is uh, I think, about the most definitive we get about how this works. And you can see that it's just not that, it's not that sequential of what we get. It's interesting, though, as we turn to uh, Revelation, that this time period, this seven years, although it's reinforced significantly, uh, it's not as prominent, it doesn't seem, as this three and a half years. You recall in 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 chapter 9 of uh, Daniel that this abomination of desolation happened when? When did it happen? When did it take place? Yeah, it was in, in the middle of the week, he said. In the middle of the week. So the week is seven years. So at the three and a half year point, you have this abomination of desolations take place. Uh, I take from this that this covenant with many uh, is not going to be necessarily all that easy to discern. And when you're really going to know is when this abomination of desolation takes place. That's when, you, that's when you're going to know. And uh, hopefully it's not us that get to look at that, to, to, to know that piece of it. But let's look at Revelation 13 and look at who is this character that's going to do this abomination of desolation. And he's known by various names in the scripture. The beast, the antichrist, man of sin... Let's look at chapter 13, verse 1. This is the revelation of, of Jesus to John. And I've made the point that Revelation is a very simple book. It just says you need to read it, understand it, and do it. That's, that's the key thing. And the overriding point is that being faithful 
even in the face of really bad tribulation, is an incredibly good idea. And being unfaithful is an incredibly bad idea. Really simple. All the details in between are pretty complicated. Uh, But we can have some models to understand these things because what we can get from it is encouragement that God is in control even though some really, really bad things are going to happen. And you can, you can see that God wants to give us this encouragement because if, when, when really bad things happen, we tend to say, God, where are you in this? And he's explaining to us, look, I'm in this all the way through. So chapter 13, verse 1, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his head's a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw is like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. So who's the dragon? Satan. So that's interesting. Satan gives him the power. And Satan's still the prince of this world. Uh, when Jesus was tempted, Satan offered, gave him this offer, didn't he? He said, if you will, what? Worship me, I'll give you all the, all the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus did not say, it's not yours to give. Jesus, Jesus answered, and I don't actually remember what his answer was. Anybody remember what the answer to that one was? You should worship your God only, or what? He's quoted scripture, yeah. I forget which one it was. So, it's basically, no, I'll wait my turn. I'll wait my time. I'll wait till God's timing takes place. So here it is that this authority is given to this beast. And verse 3 says, I, thought, I saw one of his heads as if it was mortally wounded. His deadly wound was healed and all the world marveled and followed the beast. So here we've got this man that apparently overcomes some uh, mortal wound. It could be physical. It could be his uh, kingdom. Because well, most of the language we have in this book is, is symbolic. It's symbolic of something real, though. And so it can't be sure exactly what this is. We'll talk a little more about this in a minute. But let's look at uh, chapter 14, verse 9. Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand... He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, in the presence of the Lamb. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I made the case for a model that says that this fire, including the lake of fire, is actually emanating from the presence of God, who is our consuming fire. And look here, you've got this torment happening in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And that's, again, to me, just a a sign that this... um, Torment is not necessarily going to be some other place way away. And I think that's going to make it uh, more difficult, not less. So the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night. So it's a bad idea to follow this man of sin, this beast. I think that seems to be clear enough. Um, Let's look then at uh, 19. We can kind of see how all this turns out. Because this this beast ends up being completely dominant over the whole earth. And uh, the beast is 
the world ruler and including uh, beheading people that won't take his mark and so forth. In chapter 19, verse 19, I saw the beast, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And this, the one who sits on the horse is back uh, here in, in the previous uh, uh, verses here. Verse 11, I saw he- heaven open a white horse and him who sat on it called Faithful and True. So you got Jesus and his army coming and you got the beast and his army coming together. And verse 20, the beast was captured. And with him the false prophet, this is the guy that has this false religion that deceives people and gets them to worship the beast, uh, who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. So here we have two people that actually go straight into the lake of fire. And the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse. And all the birds were filled with their flesh. So here's Jesus who, uh, after having given these people all this opportunity, uh, finally executes his wrath and satisfies the people under the altar previously in this book of Revelation who have said, how long are you going to wait until you avenge those who who, uh, martyred us? How long are you going to wait? We're tired of waiting. Well, wait no more. It finally has come to pass. So this is is the, um, the end. This is when the end comes. And then we go into this period of the millennial kingdom And you've got the, I I believe, the millennial kingdom, the thousand years. Look at chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having a key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who's the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, cast him in the bottomless pit, shut him up, set a seal on him so he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things he'd be released for a little while. And so you've got this thousand-year period where the Satan, the dragon, even though the beast and the false prophet are already in the lake of fire, the dragon's not there yet. He goes into this bottomless pit for a thousand years. Now you have the millennial kingdom. And going back to Daniel 2 that we looked at last time, you've got this this statue that goes uh, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. And then you have this rock that's not cut with hands that comes down and smashes the statue statue and fills the whole earth. Well now we have the statue smashed because the beast is the culmination of the uh, of the Roman Empire uh, unfortunately and it's smashed completely at this point and now the kingdom of God fills the earth. So that's a, that is a sequence and that's some of the stuff we can know about the sequence. You know well, there's not enough there, and I think God does this on purpose. There's not enough there for us to discern, and this is what people tend to want to do, for us to discern, well, um, where are the safe zones where I can send all I want to and then kind of confess right at the end and uh, you know get away with it? This, this is a very common way of thinking that we have. Well, he, he, he closed that loophole, didn't he? He says, be ready at all times... And also, there's going to be all these birth pangs. Now, last time we talked about some of the birth pangs, we've had guys that looked like they were going to be the beast. Nero very much looked like he was going to be the beast. 
uh, we've had uh, Hitler. It looked like he was going to be the beast. I mean, look, he wanted to set up the thousand-year reign, the, the Third Reich. That was his propaganda. Uh, Stalin, communism, take over the whole world, bring in utopia, the workers, you know, for the for the workers. This is a very common mentality that has has been uh, perpetrated. Now we have the Islam uh, Islamic uh, faction that has the same basic idea. They got jihad to take over the whole world, bring in a caliphate for the whole world, bring it all under one ruler, uh, and that could be that could be um, the the actual um, uh, initiative that's going to fulfill everything we just talked about in Micah. Chapter five. It seems to indicate that the beast is Assyrian, which would kind of fit this this model. But let's look at chapter seventeen of Revelation. Just get a, a few more clues here. Chapter 17, let's look at verse 8. The beast you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. There's a very interesting phrase there. You know, Jesus is said to have been the one who was and is and is to come was and is and is to come. Well, the beast is the one who was and is not and ascends out of the bottomless pit. Now, the beast is given a number, you know, and in Hebrew, uh, every letter has a number. And they, they use a, a, an interpretation method they call gematria. And they'll actually take the numeric value of any one word and any other word that has that same value they will say or even phrase they'll say well because this phrase or this word has the same value as this phrase or this word then that that's important that has that has significant meaning it's a thinking process that really would never even enter our mind and we're given this this number 666 and the key the key phrase there i think is it says it's the number of a man and yet this beast comes out of the bottomless pit I'm not sure what this means. You know, I don't know what this means. It could mean that 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 uh, injury this this person overcame. It could mean that this is a resurrected person from the past. You know, we looked at Antiochus Epiphanes in 168, who actually went into the temple and desecrated it. It was an abomination of desolations uh, example. Well, Jesus is talking about something that's going to happen in the future, so he can't be talking about the past, but he can be talking about an event that's already been foreshadowed for us. Um, Maybe he resurrects. Maybe it's talking about that when it says the dragon gives his authority to the beast, maybe it's just talking about that the authority comes out of the bottomless pit. I don't know what it means. But let's go on. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. So Jesus was and is and is to come. 
And I think we can, you know, Jesus was. He's from the beginning of the world. He created the world. He is. He came, he came to earth as a man and manifested himself to us. Man become flesh. And then he's going to come back again in the same manner. Well, but he's also been all the way along. But it's, it's a way of explaining to us this, this, uh, this two advents of the one who is from everlasting. Well, now we've got the beast who was and is not and yet is. What in the world does that mean? Not sure. But let's look at some things here that are interesting. Here's the mind which has wisdom, verse 9. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now, does anybody know what the city of seven hills is? It's Rome. So I think what we're telling, what he's telling us is, is that this is going to come out of Rome, and we're just going back to Daniel chapter two, and the Roman Empire is going to rise again. You know, people have been trying to put the Roman Empire back together ever since the early days. You know, it split into two pieces with the West and the East, and the, the capital in Rome and Constantinople, and then it just broke into pieces. It never was conquered, and then it reformed in, in eight hundred. Uh, A.D. with the uh, advent of Charlemagne who was crowned on Christmas Eve as the Holy Roman Emperor and the Holy Roman Empire was born and it lasted about a thousand years and it was disassembled or or really uh, repudiated uh, when uh, Napoleon came around because Napoleon wanted to be the Holy Roman Emperor and the standing Holy Roman Emperor just said we don't have a Holy Roman Empire anymore you can't get it from and, and now it's going to be put back together again, and this is going to be the unholy Roman Empire. So, verse 10, there are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. When he comes, he must continue a short time. Now, what in the world is this? I, I don't know what this is either, but there's some interesting things to think about. What? You know? I think we can have some interesting insights, but I just want to focus on the things that we can know for sure. The rest of it, I think we're given indications so we can get the main point. And the main point is, it's really a good idea to just keep going and doing what Jesus told us to. It's really a good idea. Bad idea to do the other thing. Uh, So we had uh, five Julian emperors, Augustus, Tiberius, Gaius, Claudius, and Nero. Nero's the fifth. Nero was so bad, he bankrupted the Roman Empire he, by building his house. You know, he burned Rome, and most people think that, or many people think, that he burned it just to make room for his house. He completely emptied the Roman treasury to build his house. It took up a fourth of the city of Rome. And he was so corrupt and so bad, when they finally got rid of him, they passed this law, I forget what they call it, it's like uh, remove your name from the history books forever and they went through and just took everything Nero did and just raised it to the ground um, it, you know that's, that's why there's not much left of him around he was awful he's the one that dipped the, the Christians in tar and put them up on poles and burned them as nightlights he was, he was hideously bad and then one is and one's yet to come and then the beast is the eighth it says Verse 11, the beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. So maybe this is telling us that we've got these examples 
of what was. We've got some things going on now that are, that are. There's another one coming. And then much later, there's going to be somebody that's like these guys, but he's, he's somewhat different. Maybe it's talking about he was like them in terms of Julius or Augustus, who actually were you know, rulers of the entire world, but also like Nero, who was mad and who killed Christians and railed against uh, anyone who wouldn't worship him and so forth. Maybe he's kind of like a compilation of all these guys put together. Perhaps that's what it's talking about. The beast. This three and a half year thing is quite interesting as well. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that next time. But I just, I just want to... Uh, end with a little insight that I find very interesting. It's all the different things in Revelation that involve seven. We just looked at seven hills here. Um, and let me just reel them off to you here. In Revelation 1-4, we got seven churches. We have letters to the seven churches. In one twelve, we have seven lampstands. In one sixteen, we have seven stars. 3-1, we have seven spirits of God. Four five we have seven lamps and seven spirits. Five one we have seven seals that are broken, and every seal has a different judgment that comes out of it. In five six we have the lamb that has seven horns and seven eyes. In eight two we have seven angels that stand before God who blow seven trumpets, and out of these seven trumpets come seven judgments. In ten three we have seven thunders, and the thunders say something. And he's about to write it down. He says, don't write that down. I want you, don't want you to know that. Which I think is ample indication that there's stuff God doesn't want us to know. In 11.3, we've got 7,000 people killed by an earthquake. In 12.3, we've got this dragon with seven heads and seven crowns. In 15.1, we got seven plagues. In 15.7, we've got seven bowls, bowl judgments. In 17.9 that we just looked at, we have seven hills. It's interesting how many times that seven shows up. I've been told that seven is a, a number of completion or a fulfillment. So if we got, we've had seven emperors and this beast, this this false, yeah, the the antichrist, this man of sin that's going to come is an eighth. That's an interesting thing. Somehow. He is after the completion of the Roman Empire, but maybe representative of the whole thing. But in any event, what we have here, I think, is God telling us that this is going to be the end of the age. This is how it's all going to be wrapped up and completed. And these are the things that are going to happen. They're going to happen. Now, the fact that they're going to happen tells us God has this well in control. And He does not tell us when, but what He does tell us is, be ready. And be ready at all times. So, as we see these birth pangs happen, I think we can expect to see men of sin. It may well be that the men of sin wrap themselves in the cloth of Christian uh, theology, Christian language, lingo. Uh, It may be that, um, that they wrap themselves in other kinds of morality. But we can expect lawlessness. We can expect, and it's going to be cycles. We don't know which cycle we're in. We may be in the last cycle. It may get really bad uh, at any point in time. It may, it, we may have a respite. We don't know.
But what we do know is that God has told us in his in, in this in this message here, the revelation, that our job is to become an overcomer, as he overcame. And what is it that Jesus overcome? He overcame temptation to not obey and to depend on himself. And instead, he obeyed completely, fully, even to death on the cross. And he depended on his Father, even though he was capable of being completely independent. We are not capable of being independent, but yet think we can be. So this opportunity is for us to obey and endure to the end and continuing to love, even though lawlessness prevails. And that's how we become overcomers. We don't know which of the birth pangs we're in. We do know that these basic things, wars and rumors of wars and sinful people, are going to keep happening over and over again and affect us. And as we do, if we can keep our love from going cold, if we can continue to obey what God's told us to do, which includes praying for our enemies and things like that, then we will be overcomers. God has said it. God has promised it. And we can count on that. And that is incredibly encouraging. If we look to the world for encouragement, we're not going to get it, are we? But if we look to God and what God has promised, that these, we're going to have a culmination of this human history it's, and it's going to be replaced with a kingdom He makes, we can't trust in the Roman Empire. We can trust in the kingdom of God. And that is a great encouragement to us. God, thanks for giving us these words of encouragement, these signs that we can look to, this uh, encouragement to always be ready and watching, even into the end of the age. And this amazing promise you've given us that not only are you in control of all things, you've given us this amazing opportunity, this free will that we have to choose whether or not to obey you and whether or not to become an overcomer. God, as sin enters our world and and comes from every conceivable direction, I pray that you'll help us not let our love grow cold. And we'll continue to walk in obedience to you. Because overcoming includes, Father, forgive them, they know what, what they do. And it's really difficult to do that when we get so much injustice that comes into our lives. And so much lying and so much falsehood. But we know where that comes from. You've told us here. And I pray that we'll just absolutely refuse to let Satan take us into his realm and succumb to retaliation and vengeance of our own doing. Because we know you're going to take care of it all in due time. Help us trust you in that. In Jesus' name, amen.